We're finishing up the series that we're doing on finding uh, and discovering the story behind the story. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that Genesis chapter chapters 11, or 1 through 11 rather, are the backstory behind the rest of the story. And it's like anything, if you, if you quote the Bible or you say something to somebody and it doesn't have a larger context to uh, make any sense out of, you're not really sure what it means. It's like receiving a text from somebody and you don't know if they're angry or they're sad or even if they give you an emoji, uh, you're not sure what that means. And so there's a lot of confusion without knowing sometimes the background. And the goal for the whole series has been to help you see why it is that God gave us his son and, and out of that uh, brought into the world the good news. And many of us have asked questions regarding just our own experiences in life, why there's frustration, uh, why there's evil, why, why it is, even within our own character, we do things that um, we don't always like about ourselves. And as we read those 11 chapters, we discover that God has given us a story to explain why we're in the mess that we're in. And the good news is that God loves us where we're at, but he loves us too much to keep us there. And that, that means each of us. And uh, this morning, since it's Father's Day, uh, we are actually going to look at the person who in the Bible as, is described as the, the father of all the nations. Uh, the father, in one sense, the spiritual father of even Jesus himself. Uh, and that is uh, uh, when, when the Hebrew people would talk about their father, they would say, our father, Abraham. And Abraham really is the guy that is the game changer. The life that he lived had a rippling effect throughout the storyline of the rest of the Bible. And I think that's the cool thing about uh, being a father is that you can have a degree of influence on the outcome of other people's lives. I have three lives that I'm re partly responsible for. I can't take full responsibility. Um, uh, and their names are Mayim Christian and Stephen. He used to be Ethan, but now he's Stephen because he's rebranded. And if you know anything about him, you'll know why. And as I look at those three, I see they're very different kids. And I hope that uh, Maya being an engineer, uh, she is in some ways uh, fulfilling um, a calling that I, I had only dreamed about doing at one point in my life. And uh, God said, no, you're not going to be an engineer. You're going to be a pastor. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can speak in public, Lord. So that doesn't make any sense. But I can vicariously, through her, enjoy the engineering aspect of, um, of life and, 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 and feed that as much as I can. I have another uh, child. His name is Christian Moore. And he is a plant freak. If you ever drive by my house on Lisbon Road and you see it looks like a botanical garden, it is because he is a plant visionary person and somewhere along the way he got in his head that the reason we have dads and moms is for them to do all the work. And um, so we try, but he's hard to keep up with. And I got a text from him this morning saying Happy Father's Day and it just really made my day. Uh, and to think um, that, that I'm responsible for this life uh, who's somewhere on another part of the planet looking for, looking at plants and, and doing evaluations of that. 
and I've been happy to feed that. And then my youngest son, Stephen, uh, is finishing up his time at Boy State. Uh, he wanted to be Chief Justice like his brother, uh, but he missed out by 10 votes. And Stephen is ever the optimist, so he's like, all right, my plan B is I'm going to start a law firm, and I'm going to um, also uh, ended up being vice president of the of the um, of the bar association. If you've ever, if you're familiar with Boy State, it's just a uh, a, a, a mock-up of government and of law. And I'm and and I'm discouraging him as much as I can because he's said for many years he wanted to become a lawyer. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he's definitely got arguing down really well. And, um, and then he took debate and did really well in that, and now he's just impossible to talk to. Um, and so he's a good kid, uh, but um, he'll be coming home today. And uh, as, I, as I just look at their three lives, I know that they, they look at me and they look at their mom and they say, this is how we're supposed to live our lives. And where we're weak, uh, you can see them imitating some of our bad habits. And where we're strong, hopefully they imitate them as well. And it's by design, I think, that God has set it up that way so that when uh, children are brought into the world, they look up to their parents and their parents really do set the tone for how it is that their lives unfold. Now, in, in every way, we can't take responsibility for all their good choices or their bad choices, but we hopefully have set some trends into motion. And when God looked at the situation in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and after chapter 3 where Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, then things started to go south as we've discovered in this series. And in the process, they go from bad to worse. Uh, so much so that God says, I, I've got to just hit the reset button and start over. And, uh, and, and, and with the whole earth being recreated once again after a cataclysmic flood, he chose Noah of all people and through the three sons that he had, uh, one in particular named Shem, that he decided that he would dwell uh, as we're prophesied in, in, in Genesis 9, God would dwell in the tents of Shem. We have no idea what that means. Noah was told this information from God, and God's like, just trust me. Your son Shem is going to be the one through whom all of the things that I have in mind that I'm going to reveal later on uh, that will just change the whole world. But for now, just rest content in knowing that I'm going to be with Shem and I'm going to bless the world through him. Well, that story just kind of hung in the air for a long time. And as lives uh, began to repopulate on the planet, uh, we see in Genesis chapter 11 uh, the outcome of the lineage of Shem and how it leads to one important spiritual father named Abraham. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me. I'm in uh, Genesis 11, and um, I, I'm just going to read uh, a couple of verses at the beginning of uh, chapter 10, and, or uh, verses 10 and 11, and then jump ahead, because uh, it's just a genealogy. So here, here we go. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, 
he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. And the real reason why I'm jumping ahead is because I can't pronounce all those names. So when Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years. People are getting younger uh, before they die. And had other sons and daughters. And after Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Sarah took his son Abram, who would later become Abraham, if you're curious, and his grandson Lot, um, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, who was Sarah later on, the wife of this, his son Abram. And together they came out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Well, this story is here for a reason. There's a lot of things that could have been written that happened during that time. But uh, God chose to tell us this specific story because it, he, he wanted us to learn a few things about how it is that he works in our lives. And in, in the case of Abraham, he's showing an example of what it means to live by faith when you're called to do something that is pretty dramatically different than, than, than you ever thought you would do. And maybe in your case, uh, you maybe had a point in time where you're thinking, I don't know if I would ever come to church or I'd ever worship God. But somewhere along the way, God stepped in and he began to work in your life and through your problems and through your challenges and circumstances. And you cried out to him perhaps or you just kind of were nudged towards him but eventually God became a part of your world and then your world began to be shaped by God and and I'm no different um, I very quickly uh, went to church as soon as God started nudging me and going to church I had a pastor who said uh, you're asking me a lot of questions and he pawned me off on a, on a Bible college in St. Louis. And I'm like, I can't go to Bible college. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not pastor material. But he sort of nudged me into that direction. And, and because I respected him, I went not thinking, not knowing that that decision to go under his leading, uh, Bill Stark was uh, the pastor there and, and kind of a spiritual father to me uh, in that regard. I, I said, I'll, I'll go. And I went there and I met the most beautiful girl in the world. And I, and I thought, you know, uh, a girl like that would, would never, never go out with me. And uh, sure enough, uh, she didn't. However, however, there was an even more beautiful girl that I met after that, and she did. And as a result of that, three kids came out of that equation. And I would never have thought that 
having taken a risk and went to Bible college and having taken another risk and asked this gal to, to marry me and having taken another risk uh, bringing children into the world and on and on it goes and it seems like God says you got to trust me you got to trust me you got to trust me you don't know the full plan you'll never know the full plan but you have to trust me as I nudge you into directions that are for your own good I need you to respond and maybe God is nudging you in a direction that you're thinking I don't know if if, if I want to go there it's too risky or it, it may create too much change or it may be something that um, uh, May, may result in, in, in catastrophe. You just never know. But if it's a God nudging, you need to pay attention. And the reason why the story is embedded in the great story is to show how God began to nudge this person, Abram, towards a place that was so really different than where he grew up. The place where he grew up would be like the equivalent of... Um, of, of, of Silicon Valley. It was Ur of Chaldee. It was the leader in science and technology, in literature, in the culture and the arts. I mean, it was it was the place where where uh, where language was formalized and codified. Uh, the laws were codified there uh, for the first time. There was so much progressive things that were happening from a human standpoint, and God spoke to Abram's father and said you guys need to move on you need to move to a place that I'll show you and his father started to respond the only problem was his father was in the in in, in a business that made a substantial amount of money at least to be sustainable where um, idols were formed that people would worship and in Ur of Chaldees there were a lot of people who would look at these idols and they would say I need power for my life or I need success in my business or I need it to reign or I need children and Abraham's father would make these idols and the whole time as Abraham was looking up to his father Terah he knew that his father was trying to grasp something that he couldn't quite get a hold of. And these idols were the closest thing that he could, he could really uh, uh, come to to discover that God, that he didn't have the language or the vocabulary to know. And that God was working on Abram as well. And Abram looked at his father's idol craft and he said, I'm uncomfortable with that. There has to be a better way. Because there's something inside of me that says... Those aren't the answer. The thing that I've been doing up to now is not the answer. And maybe in your case, maybe you're saying the thing that I've invested so much time and energy in is turning up empty. And maybe God's saying it's because you've tried to fill a space that is exclusively for me with something else and you will always come up empty. And as Abram was sort trying to sort out who God was... God began to nudge him and eventually speak to him and call him. Well, Abram's father, Terah, uh, was also getting some of those same sort of impulses in his own mind about moving forward and hearing some voices saying, you need to move on out of here. But who would want to leave? I mean, seriously. Okay, if you had a chance to live in Salem, Ohio, or... Um, hope I don't offend anybody, but I'm going to throw this out there. Burgholtz, okay? Um, seriously. 
All right? Somebody's already offended. They're already getting up and leaving. That's okay. But, I mean, there are places where you have opportunity, and there are places where you have access, and then there are places where, well, it's just there. (laughs) You're there and you're gone. And Abram is told by God, this is where you're going, from the place that has everything to the place that has nothing. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever from a human standpoint. But because God is starting to speak into his life and even into his father's life, they begin to move. And the scripture tells us as we read it that Terah took with him uh, his extended family. And, you know, one of the reasons why I think a lot of us never want to move, you know, out of an area that the, the sun doesn't come out that often to a place where it does primarily is because we would be leaving our family. And if I had the choice between the rich meaning of family and right son, well, on most days I would take the rich meaning of family. There are a few days where I'm like, I could just use some bright sun right now. But with that said, uh, he just took his whole clan with him. And as he did, he brought along his son and uh, who would be, uh, and, and also uh, the one uh, who was his wife. And the scripture tells us that as this thing is unfolding, um, they decide that they're going to they're gonna settle for a while um, in, in another region, Haran. And it's kind of like Terah knew that God was nudging he and his clan in this direction, He knew that he was a descendant of Shem. He knew a few things about God. He knew the stories, but he didn't know really a whole lot about the character of God other than God was pretty angry about the flood and that God was going to do something about it through his family line. And that's about all he had to go on. And then he had these idols that he was trying to use to facilitate that relationship. So in his his lack of understanding... He didn't go to Canaan like he was supposed to go, but, or rather, he didn't go to the land that God would show him like he was supposed to go. He went down to Canaan to a place called Haran, which is sort of a lateral move from Ur of Chaldees. Haran would be like going from uh, Silicon Valley, perhaps, to um, maybe, you know, maybe where uh, Boston and MIT and all that stuff. There's still a lot going on. And God's like, no, that's not what I have in mind here. A lot of times, we just don't want to get out of our comfort zone. Now, I'm not saying that God is calling you or me to the mission field in this particular case, but he may be. But he may be doing something else. He may be saying that the landscape that you're inhabiting, the psychological space that you're at, maybe the relational space that you're at, maybe even the vocational space that you're in right now, maybe God's saying, I'm moving you a little bit. I'm moving you a little bit to over here so that I can come closer and I can do things through your life. Each of you have, I would say like Abraham, a specific calling on your life. And we are all different. But essentially what God wants to do is use you and I to bless the lives of other people around us. Because as we discover in the telling of this story... Eventually, when Abram's father settles in the land of Haran, and Abram at that point takes his clan and continues to journey on to the land that God would show him, 
still not knowing where it was that God would have them settle, we pick up in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, a continuation of the storyline. And this is the, if there was a hinge in the Bible from the story behind the story to the story where God says, it is on, I am beginning my redemptive purpose through this man. This man will be the father of everyone, including us as the church. The, the Apostle Paul describes Abraham as our spiritual father as well. In the process, as it began, this is specifically what God said to Abram before he was called Abraham. His identity was changed. And these are the words. And I, they are so filled with information, especially as you related to the Babel story uh, we spoke about last week. So if I haven't overwhelmed you, let me just read this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. I'd like for you to just take a careful look at that. Because what God has wanted to do from the very beginning is to bless his creation. I mean God had, could have just said, you know, I'm happy without all of this stuff. It would be a pain to have people who make up their own free will choices to, to live on the earth and mess it all up. But God said, no, I want to have a people that I can bless. I don't want to curse creation. But when we rebel against God, we bring a curse upon ourselves anyway. And God said, I want to take one man, Abraham, and I want the influence of his life and his character to unfold into everything that I'm going to redeem over the course of time, including you and I. We are here today as a result of this statement. It is a promise in Scripture that unfolds through the rest of Scripture into a a, a nation, a people, a king, and ultimately a savior. But before we get there, God tells Abram, you know the people at the Tower of Babel who wanted to make a great name for themselves? And I thwarted their efforts? The fact of the matter is, I want your name to be great. And I bet you, you could just ask about anybody on the street. And you say, have you ever heard the name Abraham? And I'm not talking about Lincoln. And they would say, well, yeah, isn't there an Abraham in the Bible? And chances are he's just that well known. But what a lot of people don't realize is as you zoom in on his character, you find that he's a guy in a lot of ways just like us. He struggles with the things that he has to face in life. He struggles with fear. He struggles with doubt and uncertainty, as you find in the unfolding of his story. But initially, he's given a promise that will help him to work through every struggle that he's facing. And that is, um, I know that you're 75 and your wife is 65 and you've been praying for a long time to have a child and it's not happened. Well, rest assured, it is going to happen. And it'll happen because 
I'm in the I'm in the picture. The impossible becomes quite possible. I will make a great nation out of you. And Abraham's like, that sounds good. We'd like to think so. We've been hoping against hope to have a child, but it doesn't seem to be working. And for them, it was such an overwhelming desire. Primarily because in that culture, you didn't have a 401k. You didn't have a retirement plan. You had children that you depended upon in your elderly age to see that your needs were met. I've been trying to tell my kids that from the get-go. I'm like, you know, Abraham, he needed, you know, each of you to have your own place in different regions of the country where the sun shines uh, at one point all the time and we could stay in little houses in your backyard, uh, you know, a third of the year. Abraham, just go to that place. Well, they're still scratching their heads on that one, but I'm sure God will reveal the truth to them pretty soon. And as he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, he's saying that you don't have to worry on that front. But you have to understand it's not going to happen because of the human natural course of things. It's going to happen because I'm going to, I'm going to make something happen that wouldn't otherwise happen if I wasn't in your life. And I will make your name great. Not so that your ego can be super inflated and everybody will look at you as some kind of celebrity. I'll make your name great because what I want people to do is when they see you, they think about a wonderful quality that you have that they can emulate. And I think a lot of us have gone through life and we've looked up to people who have gone before us and we've said, what qualities do they have that I can... I can imitate whenever I run into the same kind of problems or challenges that uh, life I know will deal, deal to me. And I know as we're laying to rest someone like uh, Marlon Eibel and we think about Walt and we think about a whole host of people that had gone on before, Albert Hanna and, and just on and on, you think about persons that were looked up to as, as, as really... Uh, good and great leaders and we say how can I how can I take those qualities and embody them in my own life and all of that God is saying is going to happen in the life of Abraham and the most important thing of all is that God's going to bless him not so that he can hoard it not so that it's just like look what I have and look what you don't have but rather look what I have so that you can be a blessing to other people And I would say the healthiest, most well-adjusted people that I know are people that love to give, that love to help out other people, that have a generous heart. And I can't help but wonder, after 50 years of being conditioned in our culture to be consumers that just take, 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 and are also conditioned through advertising to be dissatisfied, 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 or to be afraid, 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 I sometimes wonder how hard it is for people in our culture to really think about generosity, to really think about contentment, to really think about not being afraid and not worrying. And I have to be honest with you, those answers are very few and far between out there. But because God chose to bless us in here through his word, 
we find places where we can see examples of contentment. We find places where we realize we don't have to have it all. We find places where we don't have to make a great name for ourselves to prove that we're a worthwhile human being. But rather a place where God says, I've already made you my child. We find in here everything that people out there say, we want to offer this to you, but you'll never quite get it. And in here, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide every need emotionally, physically, psychologically, whatever it is, because I made you and I want to bless you and I'm going to use Abraham to do that. And the call for us is to ask the question, just as you called him, Lord, who are you calling me to bless? Who are you calling me to make a difference in their lives? Who are you calling me to plant a seed in another person's life around me who is living in fear and living in discontentment and living in despair? And, you know, the the statistics on suicide should tell us a lot about the lack of answers out there. And as believers, we shouldn't have anything to worry about. Because as we read through the scripture, we find that every single person that the Bible describes as people that followed after God, they struggled. They had misgivings. They had doubts. But whenever they turned to the Lord, they found that God was always there. That he was always faithful and he was always reliable. Not necessarily right there in that moment, but if you hung on, you would see, oh, he's been at work the whole time. And maybe right now you need to look in the rearview mirror a little bit and see, God, I know you've called me to be your child and I know I'm struggling now. Maybe sometimes we have to rehearse a little bit the things that have happened in our past where God has shown up and said, I was faithful there, wasn't I? I got you through that, didn't I? And as we do, we're just following the pattern of Abraham. Because the Bible tells us a lot about some key characters. David being one of them, Jesus being another one. But Abraham, his name comes up quite a bit. And it's a reminder for you and I to see that when God calls us into his family and then calls us to bless the people around us, it's going to involve risk. It's going to involve doubt. But more importantly, it's going to require trust. Because God has an agenda. And his agenda isn't going to stop whether or not we go along with it. It's going to carry on. But his agenda is a good agenda. It is a way of saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And Abraham just started taking the steps of trust. But if you read the story, he had missteps. Like he tried to pawn his wife off to Pharaoh at one point. And, and there's just a number of things that as we read through the story, we find, yeah, he, he kind of screwed up there. He sort of misstepped there. And as we read that, we find, but he course corrected. Because essentially, you know what God is doing? He's taking your life and he's saying, I'm going to take you where you are from Ur of Chaldea or wherever. And
and you've learned a lot of habits there and a lot of ways of looking at life that are just not really accurate. And I'm going to help you unlearn that over time. Unlearn some of your habits, some of your doubts, some of the ways, some of your go-tos. And I'm going to help you to relearn some ways of faith, ways of trusting, ways of thinking as a person would think when they realize that I'm with them on the journey the whole way. The main reason why we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday is because we know that God is our Father. And we know that as we pray to Him, that He has a will that is in heaven already working, that He just wants to flow into our lives here on earth. And we know that He will give us our daily bread as any father who loves their child will in forms and ways that we can't anticipate, but He is trustworthy and reliable. You know, as this story unfolds and we pivot into uh, away from a very damaged humanity from Genesis 1 through 11 to a hopeful opportunity for humanity to come alive in the Lord, we see that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews recaptures the storyline in light of the events that happened through Jesus And as he's telling all of the ways that people trusted God over time through their trial, he especially highlights Abraham and his wife Sarah. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive an inheritance. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And as the writer of Hebrews is recapturing uh, those experiences for us, what is he saying? He's saying that God will call us into places that are unfamiliar. God will call us into things that are, are risky or uncertain. But most importantly, God will call us to trust him no matter what he's allowed us to have to go through. That he is always faithful. And as God calls us to trust Him with our lives, God begins to bless us. I'm very glad that I didn't decide to get married before I became a believer. But in the process of trusting God, God said, I'm going to start a family through you. And at every turn, I want you to reflect those things that are of me to the people that you will influence so that through your life, they can see me. I haven't been perfect in that regard, but I have to tell you, I put a lot of intentionality into that to the best of my ability, and that's all God wants any of us to do. Knowing that through that process, we'll be blessed. And maybe God is saying, I I want to bring you into that process. But the steps that Abraham and Sarah took were steps of faith and trust. It said, it doesn't make any sense going from the, the richest, most robust city on the planet to Nowheresville. Or from being a wife who is way beyond childbearing years to trusting that you will provide a son. But God did that. And maybe you're looking at your circumstances and saying, I can trust God in a lot of ways, but I know I can't trust him here. My suggestion to you 
is the outcome may not be what you think it's going to be, but whatever it is that you commit to the Lord, God says, I will work it together for good. You have to trust me that I will be at work because the whole storyline of the Bible is about people that I have called to trust me who have misstepped along the way, but somehow in some way kept their eyes on me through it all and they made out okay. And the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 chronicles all of those, many of those individuals who are just people like you and I who said, yeah, definitely made some missteps along the way, but we never forgot one thing. We never forgot the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We never forgot the God who is Jesus. And as a result of that, God worked everything together for a purpose. And he worked it together for good. Your life may be living a story of its own. And God's saying, I've given you free will to do what you want to do. Or your life maybe has had a pivotal moment like Abraham. Where you said, God, I want to take my story as it is up till now. And I want to merge it with yours. I want to be a blessing. I want your blessing, Lord. So that where I lack, you will provide. And where other people around me have need, you can bless through me. And that really is the vision of the rest of the Bible as it unfolds. The greatest blessing of all is Jesus, our Savior. And the greatest opportunity that we have is every Sunday when we gather. We celebrate who He is. We remember the covenant that He created. But we also provide an opportunity for you to experience being part of his family. And I'd love for each of you to be able to walk out of here and say, I am part of God's family. I am a child of our spiritual father, Abraham. I am a redeemed human being because of my Savior, Jesus. And it's a very simple step. And if you need to come forward and just move into that space, that's why we are here to help you. Or you can go to the studio afterwards and, and, and we can talk to you there. However it is that God's moving, trust Him. Know that if He's calling you, it will be a little scary, but it'll be so worth it. I just wonder if Abraham's father really had a lot of misgivings about just staying in a place that had a lot while remaining disconnected from his own children who had, in God, everything.